The song is entitled, I've Faced a Mountain. And if you are facing a mountain this morning, God can do everything immeasurable, more than we can ask or imagine. So just tune in to the song and again, listen to the words. I've faced a mountain that I never faced before. That's why I'm calling on you, Lord. I know it's been a while, but Lord, please hear my prayer. I need you like I never have before. Sometimes it takes a mountain, sometimes a troubled sea, sometimes it takes a desert to get a hold of me. Your love is so much stronger than whatever troubles me. Sometimes it takes a mountain to trust you and believe. Forgive me, Jesus. I thought I could control. Whatever life would throw my way, but this I will admit has brought me to my knees. I need you, Lord, and I'm not ashamed to say. Sometimes it takes a mountain. Sometimes a troubled sea. Sometimes it takes a desert to get a hold of me. Your love is so much stronger than whatever troubles me. Sometimes it takes a mountain to trust you and believe. Sometimes it takes a mountain. Sometimes a troubled sea. Sometimes it takes a desert to get a hold of me. But this morning, Lord, your love, your love will take us through. Sometimes it takes a mountain. What is it you're going through this morning? Sometimes it takes a troubled sea. Sometimes it takes a desert to get a hold of me. Your love is so much stronger than whatever troubles me. Sometimes it takes a mountain to trust you and believe. Whatever it is you're going through this morning, if it's a mountain, if it's a desert, just believe that God can take you through. Whatever it takes this morning, yield. Yield and surrender. Sometimes it takes a mountain. Sometimes a troubled sea. Sometimes it takes a desert to get a hold of me. 
your love is so much stronger than whatever troubles me. Sometimes it takes a mountain to trust you and believe. Bless God this morning. Bless God. Trust and believe. Trust and believe. Thank you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's pray um, for Tashina. Lord, Tashina, your daughter, your precious creation that you have created for a purpose. Father, she has decided to proclaim your word this morning to your people. I ask, Father, in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, that you will let her speak from her spirit and not her head. I ask, Lord God, that you'll use her tongue or vocal cords to truly speak as you direct. Lord, I ask that the hearts of the people will be listening will be fertile, will be fertile. They'll receive your word gladly and they will bear fruits. Lord, let your anointing come upon her even now, even before she starts and let her speak, let her speak your word. And we give you the praise and we give you the honor and we give you all the glory. In Jesus' mighty and awesome name, amen and amen. Amen. She's not only a worshiper, she not only sings, she preaches. So we ask in the Lord to fill her up, to overflow Hallelujah. this morning. Hallelujah. Bless Blessed be the name of the Lord. Good morning. Good morning, my brothers and sisters, wherever you are this morning. Surely the presence of the Lord has been with us this morning from beginning and even up until now. And I am really praying that he continues to tabernacle with us um, in our worship this morning from the very beginning, the welcome, the opening and from, from the songs coming right on through. Oh my Lord, God is surely here this morning. And um, being me, I'm feeling all of my inadequacies coming to the surface this morning. But what I normally do when I start to feel like that is worship God. And I'm just going to ask you to right where you are, just sing this chorus with me. It's one that we've done a few times here. And I'm just going to, just the chorus of the song and just sing with me, right? Let's just glorify God so that his presence will even come now and permeate this atmosphere that he will bless the words that he has imparted and his name will be glorified. Yes. Awesome God, how great thou art, mighty are your miracles, we stand in of your holy name. Lord, we bow and worship you. Awesome God, how great thou art. You are God, mighty are your me. Because we stand in awe of your holy name, Lord, we bow 
and worship you. Lord, indeed, we come this morning and we worship you. We worship you, Lord. And all we say, Lord, is come, Lord Jesus, and take your place. Take your place in the thrones of our hearts this morning, Lord. And may your word become live and active and real to and penetrate to our very hearts and souls and transform us and shift our atmospheres. Oh God, bless your word unto our hearts and glorify your great name in and through us. Amen and amen. Bless the Lord. Please forgive sometimes that you might hear um, disruptions. I am not in, in very nice and quiet center right now. <laughs> and so my, my, my background, my surroundings are completely different here in comparison to St. Anne. This morning I come to you and I, I bring to you a word. And I have asked the Lord to bless this word. He has not changed it. He has not shifted it. And I pray that this is what he wants his people to hear this morning. It's a word with a very unusual title. And it is the legend of the circle maker. And this sermon is inspired, um, yes, by God, but through another servant of his by the name of Mark Patterson. And um, he is a pastor. You'll hear more about him as the sermon progresses. And um, he is one who freely passed on his, his information and notes for this sermon. And so it is a word that I have found for years now needs to be carried on and on. Let me tell you a little bit about the legend of the circle maker. And let me paint a picture for you. Now it was the first century BC and a devastating drought threatened to destroy a generation, the generation before Jesus. The last of the Jewish prophets had died of nearly four centuries before. Miracles were such a distant memory that they seemed like a false memory and God was nowhere to be heard. But there was one man an eccentric sage who lived outside the walls of Jerusalem, who dared to pray anyway. His name was Honey. And if, even if the people could no longer hear God, he believed that God could still hear them. When rain is plentiful, it's an afterthought. During a drought, it's the only thought. And Honey was their only hope. Now, Honey was famous for his ability to pray for rain. It was on this day, the day, that Honey would earn his moniker. With a six-foot staff in his hand, Honey began to turn like a math compass. His circular movement was rhythmical and methodical, 90 degrees, 180 degrees, 270 degrees, 360 degrees. He never looked up as the crowd looked on. After what seemed like hours, but had only been seconds, Pony stood inside the circle he had drawn. Then he dropped to his knees and raised his hands to heaven. With the authority of the prophet Elijah, who called down fire from heaven, Pony called down rain. Lord of the universe, I swear before your great name that I will not move from this circle until you have shown mercy upon your children. 
The words sent a shudder down the spine of all who were within earshot that day. It wasn't just the volume of his voice, it was the authority of his tone, not a hint of doubt. This prayer didn't originate in the vocal cords. Like water from an artesian well, the words flowed from the depths of his soul. His prayer was resolute yet humble, confident yet meek, expectant yet unassuming. Then it happened. As his prayer ascended to the heavens, raindrops descended to the earth. An audible gasp swept across the thousands of congregants who had encircled Honey. Every head turned heavenward as the first raindrops parachuted from the sky, but Honey's head remained bowed. The people rejoiced over each drop, but Honey wasn't satisfied with a mere sprinkle. Still kneeling within the circle, Honey lifted his voice over the sounds of celebration. Not for such rain have I prayed, but for rain that will fill cisterns, pits, and caverns. The sprinkle turned into such a torrential downpour that eyewitnesses said no raindrop was smaller than an egg in size. It rained so heavily and so steadily that the people fled to the Temple Mount to escape the flash floods. Honey stayed and prayed inside his protracted circle. Once more, he refined his bold request. Not for such rain have I prayed, but for rain of thy favor, blessing, and graciousness. Then, like a well-proportioned sun shower on a hot and humid August afternoon, it began to rain calmly and peacefully. Each raindrop was a tangible token of God's grace. And they didn't just soak the skin, they soaked the spirit with faith. With faith, I'm sorry. It would be forever remembered as the day. The day thunderclaps applauded the Almighty. The day puddles jump, puddle jumping became an act of praise. The day the legend of the circle maker was born. It had been difficult to believe the day before the day. The day after the day, it was impossible not to believe. Honey was celebrated like a hometown hero by the people whose lives he had saved. But some within the Sanhedrin called the circle maker into question. A faction believed that drawing a circle and demanding rain dishonored God. Maybe it was those same members of the Sanhedrin who would criticize Jesus for healing a man's withered arm on the Sabbath a generation later. They threatened Honey with excommunication, but because the miracle could not be repudiated, Honey was ultimately honored for his act of pray prayerful bravado. The prayer that saved a generation was deemed one of the most significant prayers in the history of Israel. The circle he drew in the sand became a sacred symbol and the legend of Pony, the circle maker, stands forever as a statement to the power of a single prayer to change the course of history. The power of a single prayer. Now it had been thousands of years since the day Pony drew his circle in the sun, but God is still looking for circle makers. 
and the timeless truth that is secreted within this ancient legend of the Circumega is as true now as it was then. Bold prayers honor God and God honors bold prayers. Let me say that again. Bold prayers honor God and God honors bold prayers. God isn't offended by your biggest dreams or boldest prayers. The actual offense and insult to his omnipotence is anything less than a bold prayer or a big dream. If your prayers aren't impossible to you, they are insulting to God. Why? Because they don't require divine intervention. But ask God to part the Red Sea or make the sun stand still or float an iron ox head or to impregnate a virgin or to impregnate a 90 year old woman and watch how he is moved into omnipotent action. There is nothing God loves more than keeping promises, answering prayers, performing miracles, and fulfilling dreams. That is who he is. That is what he does. This is the whole nature of God, and he delights in doing them. And the bigger the circle we draw, the better. Why? Because God gets more glory. The greatest moments in life are the miraculous moments when human impotence and divine omnipotence intersect. And they intersect when we draw a circle around the impossible situations in our lives and invite God to intervene. I'm gonna repeat all of that for you. There is nothing God loves more than keeping promises, answering prayers, performing miracles and fulfilling dreams. That is who he is. That is what he does. This is the whole nature of God and he delights in doing them. And the bigger the circle we draw, the better, because God gets more glory. The greatest moments in life are the miraculous moments when human impotence and divine omnipotence intersect. And they intersect when we draw a circle around the impossible situations in our lives and invite God to intervene. I promise you this. God is ready and waiting. So while today I have no idea of what circumstances you may find yourself in at this time, I'm confident, very confident that you are only one prayer away from a dream being fulfilled, a promise being kept, or a miracle being performed. It's absolutely imperative at the outset that you come to terms with this simple yet life-changing truth. God is for you. Now, if you don't believe that, then all that will happen is that you're going to pray small, timid prayers. Simple. If you do believe it, then you'll, be, then you'll be praying big, audacious prayers. And one way or the other, your small, timid prayers or your big, audacious prayers will change the trajectory of your life and turn you into two totally different people. Prayers are prophecies. They are the best predictors of your spiritual future. Who you become is determined by how you pray. Who you become, 
I'm saying it again, is determined by how you pray. Ultimately, the transcript of your prayers becomes the script of your life. Now, let me introduce you to Pastor Mark Batterson. And he is the author of the book, The Circle Maker. And as I said before, he helped out in building this sermon and having it come together. And for his entire ministry, Pastor Mark has been using prior circles. Mark says he's drawn prior circles around impossible situations and impossible people by keeping in constant and consistent prayer over these situations. I'll, I'll give you one such um, experience of his. Now, when he was 22, when he was a 22-year-old seminary student, he tried to plant a church in Chicago, but it never took root. Six months later, he and his wife moved to Washington, D.C., and the opportunity to plant another church presented itself. Although he was nervous, he says God gave him the courage to try again. In January 1996, a blizzard hit DC and consequently only three people showed up at Mark's first Sunday service at National Community Church. These people were his wife, Laura, his son, Parker, and himself. Mark jokes by saying, of course, the upside is that we experienced over 600% growth in one week when 90 people showed up the next Sunday. During the first nine months of 1996, a core group of 25 people gathered for weekend services at Giddings School in Southeast Washington, D.C. Mark says that nothing was easy during the first year. That's when I learned to close my eyes and worship because it was too depressing to open them, he said. One day, as he was dreaming about the church God wanted to establish on Capitol Hill, he felt prompted by the Holy Spirit to do a prayer walk. That day, he drew what would be his first prayer circle, and it still ranks as his biggest. Mark walked in a 4.7 miles radius around Capitol Hill. He says, my feet were sore, but my spirit soared. Since that day, NCC has grown into one church with seven locations around the Metro DC area. They're on the verge of launching their first international campus and they've influenced tens of thousands of people. The greatest tragedy in life is prayers that go unanswered because they go unasked, Mark says. And there's more to this story. And if you need it, ask me, I'll send it to you. Now you must be wondering, how is it that she has gotten so far in this sermon and she has not drawn for any text? Now we're going to jump into Joshua chapter six verse 1 to 16, and we're going to look at the Jericho miracle. Joshua chapter 6, verse 1 to 16, and it reads, Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of rams, horns in front of the ark. 
on the seventh day, march around the city seven times with a priest blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up, everyone straight in. Hmm. So Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, take up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and have seven priests carry trumpets in front of it. And he ordered the army, advance, march around the city with an armed guard going ahead of the Ark of the Lord. When Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward, blowing their trumpets, and the Ark of the Lord's Covenant followed them. The armed guard marched ahead of the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard followed the Ark. All this time, the trumpets were sounding, but Joshua had commanded the army, do not give a war cry. Do not raise your voices. Do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout. Then shout. So he had the ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling it once. Then the army returned to camp and spent the night there. Joshua got up early the next morning and the priest took up the ark of the Lord. The seven priests carrying the seven trumpets went forward, marching before the ark of the Lord and blowing the trumpets. The armed men went ahead of them and the rear guard followed the ark of the Lord while the trumpets kept sounding. So on the second day, they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. They did this for six days. On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except that on that day, they circled the city seven times. The seventh time, when the priests sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army. Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. Now let's put this into context. Now here we have a six foot wide lower wall and a 50 foot high upper wall encircling the ancient metropolis of Jericho. Now the mud brick walls were so thick and so tall that the 12 acre city appeared to be an impregnable fortress. It seemed like God had promised something impossible and his battle plan seemed nonsensical and flawed. He had instructed them, your entire army is to march around the city once a day for six days. On the seventh day, you are to march around the city seven times. Now, every, every soldier in this army must have wondered why, why this tactic? What's so significant about doing it exactly this way? I mean, why not use a battering ram? Why not just scale the walls? Why not cut off the water supply or shoot flaming arrows over the walls? Wouldn't all of those solutions be more logical and much quicker? Instead, God told the Israelite army to silently circle the city. And he promised after circling 13 times over seven days that the wall did would fall. The first time around, 
the soldiers, of course, felt a little foolish, as we would have. Let's be honest. But with each circle, their strides grew longer and stronger and more determined. With each circle, a holy confidence was building pressure inside their souls. By the seventh day, their faith was ready to pop. They arose before dawn. They were ready and started circling at six o'clock in the morning. At, at three miles per hour, each mile and a half march around the city took half an hour. By nine o'clock, they began their final lap. Now, in keeping with God's command, they hadn't said a word in six days. They just silently circled the promise. Then the priests sounded their horns and a simultaneous shout followed. 600,000 Israelites, my God, raised a holy roar that registered on the Richter scale. And the walls of Jericho came tumbling down. Oh, yeah. After seven days of circling Jericho, God delivered on a 400-year-old promise. He proved once again that his promises don't have expiration dates. And Jericho stands and falls as a, as a testament to this simple truth. If you keep circling the promise, God will ultimately deliver on it. If you keep circling the promise, God will ultimately deliver on it as a teacher. And if there are other teachers online who mark the way I do, I, I am very, I'm very hesitant in putting X's in the books of students because I think it's demotivating to them. But if they make an error and I'm marking their books, I tend to draw a circle around the arrow. Now, if somebody draws a circle, you know that teachers, we use red ink for, for um, our marks or notes or whatever it is we're doing to be noticed. So if somebody draws a circle around a particular thing, um, what is the automatic reaction of those who see that circle? It is that your attention is constantly being drawn to it you're going to give attention to it until you respond to what is in the circle by correcting it, fixing it, or whatever it is that needs to be done. And so it is, I say to you today, you keep circling your promise. You keep circling the promise until God delivers on it. Because if you let go of it, of holding on to that promise, God is just going to back off. But you keep circling the promise until God delivers on it. This morning, I want to ask you, what is your Jericho? What is your Jericho this morning? Now, this miracle that took place in Jericho is a microcosm. It not only reveals the way God performed this particular miracle, it also establishes a pattern for us to follow. It challenges us to confidently circle the promises God has given to us. And it begs the question, again, what is your Jericho? What promises are you praying around? What miracle are you marching around? What dream does your life revolve around? And more so, 
what are those dreams, promises, and miracles that we once believed for but have allowed to go dormant? Let us reignite the fire of prayer, my brothers and sisters, under them by drawing circles around them. Mm -hmm. And more specifically, prayer circles. Now, drawing prayer circles starts with identifying your Jericho. Drawing prayer circles, I'm repeating it, starts with identifying your Jericho. You've got to define the promises God wants you to stake claim to, the miracles God wants you to believe for, and the dreams God wants you to pursue then you need to keep circling them until God gives you what he wants and what he wills. That's the goal. Now, here's the problem. Most of us don't get what we want simply because we don't know what we want. We've never circled any of God's promises. We've never written down a list of goals. We've never defined success for ourselves. And our dreams are as nebulous as cumulus clouds. Instead of drawing circles, we draw blanks. Now, more than a thousand years after the Jericho miracle, another miracle happened in that same exact place. Jesus was on his way out of Jericho when two blind men hailed him like a taxi. Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. Now, the, the disciples, and we're very familiar with this, they just saw it as human interruption. Jesus, however, saw it as a divine appointment. So he stops and he re responds to them with a pointed question. What do you want me to do for you? Seriously? That's us now today saying, seriously? Is a question even necessary? Isn't it obvious what they want? I mean, they're blind. Yet, an important lesson is here demonstrated. Jesus forced them to define exactly what they wanted from him. Jesus made them verbalize their desire. He made them spell it out. But it wasn't because Jesus didn't know what they wanted or needed. He wanted to make sure they knew what they wanted. And that is where drawing prayer circles begin. Knowing what to circle. Mm -hmm. What if Jesus asked you this very same question today? What do you want me Jesus to do for you would you be able to, to spell out the promises miracles and dreams God has put in your heart let's be honest many of us would be dumbfounded because honestly we have no idea what we want God to do for us and the great irony, of course, is that if we can't answer this question, then we are as blind spiritually as these men were blind physically. So while God is for us, as we've established already, most of us have no idea what we want God to do for us. And that's why our prayers aren't just boring to us. They are uninspiring to God. If faith is being sure of what we hope for, then being unsure of what we hope for must be the antithesis of faith, right? 
well-developed faith results in well-defined prayers. And well-defined prayers result in a well-lived life. Like the two blind men outside Jerusalem, you need an encounter with the Son of God. You need an answer to the question he is still asking. What do you want me to do for you? Now, obviously, the answers that we will give to this particular question will change over time, for we need different miracles during different seasons of our lives. We pursue different dreams during different stages of life. And we stay claim to different promises according to the different situations we may face. It's a moving target, but you have to start somewhere. Why not start right here, right now? Don't just read the Bible. Start circling the promises. Don't just make a wish. Write down a list of life goals. Don't just pray. Keep a prayer journal. Be deliberate. Define your dream. Claim your promise. Spell out your miracle. It isn't God who needs to know the details, but we, Hallelujah. as we continue to circle these requests in prayer. Let us become like Jacob in Genesis chapter 32 who had made all the human plans and preparations he could to meet his brother Esau, to whom he had done a great evil in their youth. And we know that story very well. Jacob was in great distress. And if you go over to Genesis chapter 2, 32, you will see it. He was in great distress as he was, he was sure, he was unsure of the reception he would receive from Esau, but he was sure that Esau was going to kill him. And in those times, um, it was a thought that this would have been the most logical expectation and outcome of such a situation. I mean, you had stolen your brother's birthright. Now, Jacob prepared everything he thought that could possibly appease his brother's and yet still he prepared for the worst. In the chapter, we witness Jacob's trickle down to the ninth hour when he finally sent his family and possessions across the river and stayed by himself. Remember Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane? Yeah. So he stayed by himself over on the other side. Because Jacob believed that just as our Savior did in the garden, he was facing certain death. All right. But if we jump to verses 9 to 12 in same Genesis chapter 32, Jacob had begun to draw his circle. He prayed, Oh God of my father Abraham. God of my father Isaac, Lord, you who said to me, go back to your country and your relatives, and I will make you prosper. I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan, but now I have become two camps. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau. For I am afraid he will come and attack me, attack me and also the mothers with their children. But you have said, I will surely make you prosper and I will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. Jacob was circling the promises that God had made for him. So in verse 12, he was saying to God, this is what you said. Therefore, I can't die. This can't be when I'm going to die because this is what you have said will happen. And it not happened yet. So God, I am showing you, I am drawing a circle around this and, and bringing it back to your attention that this is what you said. 
Amen. Because you said this is your promise. And I'm tapping into it now. I'm claiming now that I cannot die by the hand of Esau because this promise is not fulfilled. You know, long, you know, long before this, God give Jacob this promise. Eh? And Jacob come back now. And he's holding up that very promise back to God, circling it and claiming it. I can't die. Basically, Jacob is saying, but you have said, this is what you said, you're going to make me prosper. Mm -hmm. You're going to make my descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. So Jacob has said to God, because you have promised this and the promise now don't come true yet. You can't do it. Jacob prayed with such fervor that God could do no less than show up. And that he did in Jacob's midnight hour. And Jacob, knowing that this was the response to his distress call, refused to let go of God until he responded by blessing him. God himself Jacob circled and circled and circled and showed God. And God not said nobody else. God showed up himself. Now we know that that, that very famous tussle, that wrestling match that Jacob had with God throughout the, throughout the night. And in the, in the verse it says, when the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Now, there are those who argue that if this, this was truly God wrestling with Jacob, how is it that he could not overpower him? That was not the point. That was not the point. Of course, he could have overpowered him. But here it was Jacob's time to fight. It wasn't that God could not have defeated. Jacob, not at all. It was because God wanted to see just how desperate Jacob was and just how hard he was willing to fight to see a victory. Jacob did not disappoint and he would not release God until that victory, in the form of that blessing, was secured. Jacob said it in verse when it was said in verse 26, the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked Jacob, what is your name? It's not that he didn't know Jacob, but Jacob answered and responded. Because the man went on to say to him in verse 28, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Verse 9 to 12, up there, Jacob drew a circle and reminded God of the promises that he had made to him how many years before, and reminded God that because of these promises that have not yet been fulfilled, I cannot die this day when I face my brother. And here he comes, God again punctuates that blessing. I'm backing up with our next blessing in verse 28. Your name, he changed his name. And he spoke the promise into him. He called him Israel. And he received that name because he had fought with God, struggled with God and with humans. And he had overcome. Right here at this point, Jacob was guaranteed the victory. Now, our generation, this generation in which we live, needs to rediscover the difference between praying for and praying through. Now, there are circumstances where praying for something will get the job done. But there are also situations where you need to grab hold of the horns of the altar and refuse to let go until God answers. Mm -hmm. 
You need to become a Jacob who wrestled with God and he determined that he would not let go until God responded by blessing him. Like Honey, the circle maker, you refuse to move from the circle until God moves. You intercede until God intervenes. You intercede until God interferes. Praying through is all about consistency. It's circling Jericho so many times it makes you dizzy. Like the story Jesus told about the persistent widow who drove the judge crazy with her relentless request. Praying through doesn't take no for an answer. Praying through does not take no for an answer. Circle makers know that it's always too soon to quit praying because you never know when that wall is about to fall. You are always only one prayer away from a miracle. Praying through is all about intensity. It's not quantitative, it's qualitative. Drawing prayer circles involves more than words. It's gut-wrenching groans and heartbreaking tears. Praying through doesn't just bend God's ears. It touches the heart of your heavenly father. When was the last time you found yourself flat on your face before the almighty? When was the last time you cut off circulation in your legs, kneeling before the Lord? When was the last time you pulled an all-nighter in prayer? There are high heights and deeper depths in prayer, and God wants to take you there. He wants to take you places you have never been before. There are new dialects, new tongues. There are new dimensions. But if you want God to do something new in your life, you can't do the same old thing. Now I'm going to challenge you to do a prayer experiment. It's this simple. You pick a time and a place and then you identify something or someone that you're going to pray for daily for 21 days. The goal isn't to force God's hand and make him answer your prayer within your 21-day timeline. The goal is to establish the habit of drawing prayer circles. Now, there can be a component where the corporate church comes together and, you know, maybe we're praying for a piece of land, like what we need to claim in Kenya. We're praying for a revival. We're praying for the, our communities. You may even want to come together with brethren and you walk around a church or your church that you attend in your community. Walk around your neighborhood, walk around your city. Could take that form. But it should also have a personal component to it. Identify needs or situations or dreams that require prayer. And pray around a promise that you find in scripture for those 21 days. You can pray circles around your children, around your spouse, an unsafe co-worker, around your workplace and your workplace situation. You can pray circles around a travel, a, I'm sorry, a challenge you're facing or even a sin you're struggling with. You can pray circles around a dream God has put in your heart. You can pray circles around a change that needs to happen or a decision that needs to be made. The way I started is the way I close. I'm going to tell you another story. And this story is about Elizabeth Juanita Dabney can send you this story as well. 
Now, Elizabeth Juanita Dabney was a young unknown woman when she set her heart to live a consecrated life before the throne of heaven. Not much is known about her life outside of her ministry. Elizabeth's father died when she was young, but her mother was determined to instill in her the values of a life in God. Daphne married a very successful singer and they pursued a self-centered lifestyle, traveling from city to city, free from responsibilities. However, it was not long before this made life utterly miserable for both of them. Daphne's husband had been running from a call to preach the gospel since he was five years old, when he used to preach to sticks in the ground. Through a series of shakings in the lives of this young couple, which included several unnatural plagues of roaches, tremors on a train, and serious prophetic words, Dabney's husband accepted his call to preach the gospel, Karen from God. Elizabeth wanted her husband's ministry to have a meaningful impact in their city and personally, she wanted to go to that place where Christian women went in the ancient of days. Dabney longed for the revelation of Jesus to be made manifest in her heart. Feeling an expectant burden from the Lord, Dabney entered into a three-year period of consecration during which she gave herself to day and night prayer along with extended periods of fasting and Bible study. She said, I never permitted anything to interfere with my conversation with God. I suffered. The flesh on my bones was numb. I fasted, not eating or drinking natural food, but I had a direct supply from heaven. Dabney had to press into the Lord. Because the enemy repeatedly tried to discourage her using other believers to convince her that she was too radical. It was during those times that Dabney testified of the Lord. He amused me with the scriptures and he supported me with his arms. Through the prayer of the Holy Spirit manifesting in prayer meetings, some of Dabney's most vocal critics witnessed miraculous healings taking place in the lives of their own families. Chemically burned eyes were completely restored and dead men were brought back to life. During her time of consecration, the Lord brought a number of inquiring minds alongside Daphne. Her abandonment to God attracted the attention of those around her. Elizabeth took those inquiring minds under her wing and nurtured and discipled them. She said, if an individual had a pure heart, and wanted to sacrifice time and sleep to pray with me, my heart and soul encouraged him to do so. When her three-year period of consecration ended, the Lord appeared to her in a furnace and said that he had anointed her in the place of prayer and that anywhere she traveled with her prayer ministry, many people would be saved. He told Elizabeth that the nations would gather with her to pray and that she must be mindful of the dangerous de deception of popularity and prosperity. Dabney began traveling all over America and the Lord confirmed his word to her by establishing the testimony of Jesus in the hearts of thousands of men and women, old and young. The local church that her husband had been shepherding for years also experienced tremendous growth and a gift was given to them in the form of a beautiful new facility completely paid for in advance called the Garden of Prayer. Dabney's prayer ministry continued to flourish at the Garden of Prayer 
and thousands of people were added to the kingdom in an atmosphere that was pregnant with the presence of God. The Lord also manifested his glory through the healing of thousands of people from all manner of sickness and disease. This fascinating testimony of Jesus on the earth was simply the overflow of the life in prayer of a young African-American woman who set her heart apart to live a consecrated life to the Lord. I encourage you, like Daphne, to begin a new chapter in your relationship with God. It's time to start circling. Let us pray. Lord, Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your word, Lord. And Lord, I pray that through your word today, someone's faith has been renewed. A new fire has been ignited in somebody's heart today. That someone from hearing your word will dare to dream again. Dare to live again. Dare to chase after you. To fight with you. To see a victory. Lord, may today be the mark of a new day in the lives of everyone here present, of everyone who will hear this word. As we begin a new month, Lord, may we also choose to begin a new chapter of our relationship with you. For those who may hear this word, Lord, and they've never had a personal relationship with you. May they be so charged and challenged to take up their cross and follow daily after you, Lord. Lord, bless your word unto our hearts and glorify your great name. Amen and amen.